as you may remember, because I have mentioned it more than once, the purpose of our talks is questioning, questioning ourselves, looking at what seemed to be so simple and so clear, and then at times becomes such problem, such challenge. Now, I will, I will not uh, come to con a continuation of my talks. If you remember, we have come to a point when we saw that with the fall, we enter into what I think I call the twilight of history, the clear, brilliant, all-pervading and all-revealing of light, which was the beginning of Genesis, which was a creation of the world, which was the breathing of the Holy Spirit upon all things that had been brought into existence by the Word of God, that at that moment, this fullness of light was no longer there. We entered into a twilight which is the whole history of mankind and which will be resolved by a new light at the end of time. Now, if we look into what happened, you remember that last time I spoke of men, of the human being, of the anthropos, the Chalevirk, of the way in which the human being that was one personality in two persons broke into two and instead of seeing in each other him and herself revealed in glory and perfect beauty the human being looked at the other as the alter ego, the other myself. And this word other is very frightening because it is a recognition that the other one is, yes, indeed, it is myself, but it is the other. It is not me. There is a difference. There is a distance. There is an alienation between us. And therefore, the wholeness of man was broken into two entities. These entities were not total destruction. These two entities continue to be possessed of a great amount of what was given in the beginning and also called to greater things because ultimately from the woman Eve sorry, from the woman Mary, the Son of God was born. 
But the whole of history, anyway, as I said more than once, is a twilight. What was absolute clarity, we can see hesitantly, with an, a degree of uncertainty. We see one another as the alter ego, the other myself, perhaps. However close we come, it is only through an ever deeper communion with God, through the reception of the Holy Spirit, through communion with Him, through transfiguration, that we begin to come back and beyond that to a new relationship between ourselves. But then, this happens only to persons. It does not happen at once or immediately, totally, to mankind. And therefore, at the same time, as some reach holiness in their own person and holiness in their relation to others, there are others who fall lower and lower. And this expresses itself in more than one way. We see in the beginning of Genesis, in the fifth, sixth chapter, the story of catastrophes, of men and women who fell away from God more and more and became alien to their primeval call and vocation. Remember those people about whom the book of, Revel or the, of Genesis says that they were so ingrained in the material world that is so alienated to the spiritual, the divine, that God looked at them and said, these people have become nothing but flesh. Nothing is left except materiality in them. They cannot continue to exist as human beings. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, how evil took hold of two cities and how the, the evil became such that only their destruction saved humanity from a complete pollution. You remember the story of the flood so that we can see that there was after the fall and it continues to be like this, humans that are still open to God, commune to the Holy Spirit, become close through Christ to their vocation. And there are such who fall away farther and farther. And this affects not only the human beings, because we are told in a frightening phrase of the way in which the rest of the creation is wounded 
destroyed by human sin. Speaking of the humans who emerge out of the flood, the book says, now all animals are delivered into your hands. They will be your food and you will be their terror. This is a moment when humans began to feed on murder, the murder of animals. It was no, not intended to be such. It is a result of human, the human fall, of alienation from God and the inability of humans to live by the grace of God. And since the whole world has remained such, humans feed on it in a destructive, in a murderous manner. In the beginning, it, we are told about the way in which humans feed on animals like beasts of prey become their terror. But since it is not only on animals, it is on the whole of creation that humans have begun to feed destructively. You know better than I probably what humans do now, the way in which all that is the created world is being exploited in a monstrous way by humans, not even for the needs of humans, but for their advantage, for their pleasure. So that the fall has attained as a wound, as a destructive power, everything through men. And this is what is so frightening. And it is through men that things must be restored. In Christ, a beginning is made. But what is the response? We are believers in Christ. We are his disciples. We live in the light of grace divine. And yet, when we think of ourselves, can we say that we are images of Christ? Can we say that anyone meeting any one of us can look and say, I have seen Christ shining through this person? If we turn to the text of the Gospel, we are told that the believers will have such and such characteristics. Have we got any of them? We are content in proclaiming the truth which saints have experienced and which reaches us intellectually. We are prepared to live according to the truth to a limited extent, 
But can we say that we are truly the envoys of God? People sent by Christ into the world to transfigure it, not to reorganize it, but transfigure it into another world, into Christ's world. If we read the gospel, isn't it clear that we cannot claim to be disciples, faithful disciples of Christ? We believe, and that is where it ends so often. I don't mean completely, but to a great extent. We believe in love. We believe in forgiveness. We believe in mercy. We believe in our calling to give our lives for others. We believe in proclaiming the truth, but also living by the truth. Do we, when we think of ourselves personally, individually? And so there is a question here which stands before us very acutely, are we witnesses of Christ or not? It is not enough that we feel that the grace of God is at work in us, keeping us alive, making us up to a point, disciples, how does it affect others? Meeting us. Do people meet the Lord Jesus Christ? There is a passage in, in an article by C.S. Lewis in which he thinks aloud of what believers are. And he says, When people meet a believer, you should look at him and see a statue has come to life. A statue in the sense that each of us are made in the image of God, but we are like statues, stone, potentiality, possibility. There is a calling. To a certain extent, beauty is written. But life, is it there? When we meet saints, we have got a different experience. They are not obligatory beautiful in the sense in which a statue is, but they are alive. St. Seraphim was not a beauty. St. Francis of Assisi was not. Of St. Paul, people in his time said that he was extraordinarily ugly, and yet 
we are told that when he spoke, his whole countenance changed. It became luminous. It became beautiful. Can one say that this is something that happens to us in the way in which we relate to one another, in which the way in which we relate to the surrounding world? It is a twilight. The whole Christian world is in twilight, but not <clears throat> simply a twilight that in which some other light that has gone with the fall has survived. The church is something more extraordinary than this. The church, as was defined by several theologians, is a body simultaneously and, yes, equally human and divine. The fullness of God and the fullness of mankind and the fullness of the created world united together by the love of God, by the sacrificial gift of self in Christ, by the outpouring of the Spirit who transforms and transfigures his being, by the hunger, longing, hope of the fallen ones, the ones who believe, and not only believe concretely in such and such doc doctrines, but believe in life with a capital L, believe in God, believe in what they don't know, but which they sense. And here a question comes. I remember Bishop Alexis van der Wensbrugge saying to me, the whole world is like an immensity in which a candle is a light. The candle is light and fire and warmth and revelation. It is God's own presence and also the presence of those who are in God. Something like the burning bush which Moses saw. But this light spreads. It spreads farther and farther. And even when it is no longer perceptible for us, it pervades the darkness. And therefore we must never, never, said Bishop Alexis, lose faith and hope in those whom we see, as it were, in the darkness. This light reaches them, although we don't see it and they don't perceive it. But the light is there. So that the world of twilight, in a way, is a world 
in which the accent should be put on the idea of light. We don't always see it. It is there. There are moments when barriers fall. There are moments when we see the glory of God. There are moments we see the glory of God embodied in saints. There are moments when we see the shining of the divine presence in ordinary people. And then we should stop judging because we do not know whether the experience of one person or another which is not couched in Christian terms or in terms of belief, whether it doesn't correspond to an understanding between them and God which we could not perceive. I may have already quoted the example of this young officer who came up to me in Russia and asked me whether I was a believer. Yes, I said. Well, she said, I am an atheist. And I said, I'm sorry for you. And what have I in common with God that I should believe in him? And I said to him, do you believe in anything at all? And his face shone. And he said, yes, I believe in men. And I said, that you have in common with God. With the difference that God believes in men as you have never yet learned to believe. He believed in men in such a way that he created men knowing that men will fall away from him. Knowing that the only begotten son will have to become man and die of it. Have you ever thought of that? And he looked at me and said, no, I must think of it. So here was a man who had in common with God a total love of men, a faith in men to the extent to which he understood. And here suddenly he began to understand something more. And this leads me to another point. <clears throat> we tend to reject all religions and faiths which we call pagan. Where do they come from? When you read them, when you look at the people who profess them, Where are the roots? I have said so often that we live in a twilight of forgetfulness. And this is an important thing. After the fall, mankind could remember what was before it, but not with clarity. To remember it with clarity, one had to be there. 
to speak of it with clarity. One had to remember the reality of it. Mankind began to remember glimpses of memory. And if you read the contents of the pagan faiths of the very early times, you can see that there are glimpses of truth and spaces of loss of memory. Or also that in the world, the fallen world, it was no longer possible to express adequately what could be only known and expressed in a world before the fall. And so we can look at the pagan religions of antiquity and of our times, not as enemies, but as the faith of people who have dormant memories, glimpses into the past, and which try to make a cogent system of short glimpses and therefore, of course, cannot have a complete picture. I have told you, I think already, of a conversation I had oh, many years ago with one of our most wonderful theologians because he was a man of prayer, of silence, and the word he spoke came from the heart and experience, Losky. We spoke of pagan religions, and he said to me, there is no real knowledge of God outside of Christianity. I was too young to argue with him, and yet I could not accept his statement. So I went home, we lived in the same street, into opposite houses. I copied out eight passages from the Upanishads, the most ancient writers, writings of India, brought them to him, and may God forgive me for being a liar. I said to him, I have been reading the fathers, and I always put down quotations that struck me particularly. I always write down also the name of the author, but here are eight quotations which I have forgotten, to, of which I have forgotten to indicate the author. Could you have a look? He looked, and within minutes, under each of the quotations of the Upanishads, he had written the name of one of the greatest saints, Gregory of Nazianz, Basil the Great, John Chrysostom, Simeon the New Theologian. And when he had finished, he said, yes, and all that is from the Upanishads. And he looked at me and said, I must rethink all I have thought 
thus far. It does not mean that there is no difference between pagan religions and Christianity. It means that there is not one pagan religion which has not a glimpse of memory of, the, of what there was before the fall. But a glimpse is not enough. And a person cannot live of glimpses. We all try to make a system, intellectual, emotional, of everything. And we add explanations, we add characteristics where there is nothing but an emptiness. So let us look at the world that surrounds us, believers, unbelievers, pagans, people of all persuasions and all types, and ask ourselves, not what is there in them which is wrong, but what is there which is a last glimpse perhaps, a last spark of the vision of the world before it had fallen. To certain of these things I will come later. I will end my talk today at this point. Let us therefore be silent for a while, then pray together. <clears throat> 